0: We are in the second week of a series through the book of Ezra. Ezra is in the Old Testament, and uh, it, is, it is packed with lots of practical wisdom uh, for our daily lives. And uh, I hope that you found that to be true last week. Uh, last week, we discovered that there was a group of people uh, of, from the, the nation of the Israelites uh, that were returning to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. And uh, what, there was one key verse that we came in on, and that was that, that they gathered together in Jerusalem as one man. In other words, there was a tremendous unity among these folks. They had uh, a strong identity of who they were, uh, sort of as personally or individuals, but, but even more than that, they had a collective identity, uh, that they were gathering together uh, with a singular mission and purpose, and that was to, to rebuild The temple of God. And we talked about why that was important. But but ultimately what we decided is that, and and I made this statement, that ultimately this is my dream for the church. uh, That we would be uh, a a community of people that have come together from all of our separate towns. And I made jokes about Greeley and Severance and Timnath and all these uh, outlying towns. But we would be folks from all these different towns and we would gather together for one particular purpose and one mission, one vision. And uh, we, we talked about how to live that out, and we talked a little bit about what our mission is and all of that. If you missed it, you can listen to it online. But, but we really used it to talk about our life together, and that we want to be working toward a common goal. Uh, and, and then we talked about, and we realized that in the story, there were heads of families, uh, there were leaders of families that decided to, to give away funds, money, money to help the work that was going on. And so we have sort of this double-edged sword that we talked about in terms of our life together, that that we need to be unified with a common mission, uh, but that we also, in order for the work of God to go forward, the people of God must be people of tremendous generosity. Uh, And we talked about tithing, and we talked about offering, and and, and none of you uh, fainted or left or walked out, and so I think it went pretty well. Um, And so... (laughs) Uh, but we talked about sort of our life together, and we ended by saying that ultimately generosity takes a change of heart. That that, that we can't just listen to a preacher up here sort of yelling and screaming and, and running around. And in order to, to really be generous people, we have to have a change of heart. And so we did something unique. We ended the service by saying, actually, to help jumpstart your generosity, we are going to give you money in what we called a reverse Offering and, and many of you picked up a, an envelope that had a mystery amount of money in it, uh, and the rules were simply that you cannot spend it on yourself, uh, that you have to spend it to be a blessing to someone else, uh, and that when you do that, we want you to share it and email the stories to us and uh, uh, we know that some of you weren't here last week, or maybe you were here and you just didn't get a chance to pick up an offering, a reverse offering. And so, so this Sunday, you also have another, you have another opportunity uh, to do the reverse offering. There'll be envelopes on their way out. Uh, you can pick one up and uh, pray about how would God have you spend this money in order to be a blessing to someone else. And uh, given the week's events, this ought to be very easy. Yeah? And every envelope ought to be gone. Are we good? Because there's several left. So let's make sure that every envelope is gone. Let's make sure that every dollar is spent to be a blessing uh, to someone else. And our hope was that as you get a taste of what it means to be generous with someone else's money, uh, that it would begin to, it it would be the catalyst to change your heart. So that you would begin to be generous with some of your own money, uh, and so that's that 's what we 've done and we encourage you to be to be a part of that um, what, what I want to do today then is I want to talk to you about what happens uh, when you receive vision and direction from God uh, that when God gives you a clear vision for your life, when God gives you a clear direction for uh, a particular activity or a particular area of your life or when God blesses you, uh, anytime that God is moving you in a direction or anytime that God is moving in your life or anytime that it's apparent that the work of God is happening in your heart, there is something that happens. And I want to talk to you about that and and how to respond to that. Uh, And so turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter four, Ezra chapter four. Uh, if you're looking for Ezra, it's right around Nehemiah. It's right after the 1st and 2nd Kings and Chronicles and those. Uh, it's, in your, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, so, but many of you don't flip to uh, the Scripture anymore. You just uh, tap to the Scripture. So go ahead and tap to Ezra. Um, but pre- us preachers, we need to change our language to fit the culture. So, so go ahead and push your way to Ezra, uh, chapter 4. And uh, I want to read the first five verses. And uh, I'm old school, and I still like I, I still like pages that are bound together uh, in a book. And this is how I read books too. I don't read books on my iPad. I mostly preach from my iPad and play games on it. Um, but uh, can, is it was this open confession night, or um, so I still like to to feel the pages. So here we go. Ezra chapter four, uh, the first five verses. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families, and they said, Now these are the words of the enemies. Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him ever since the time of E- King of Assyria. There are some times you just don't even want to try. Um, and, and so who, who brought us here? This, this king of Assyria, King E, brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God, for we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Well, then verse 4. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. And so they hired counselors to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and even down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The first thing that I want to say to you is when the Lord gives you clear direction, when the Lord gives you clear vision, when the Lord is is moving you in a direction or moving in your heart, anytime that the work of God is present, there is this phrase that is a part of your life, just as the same as it is this part of the story of Ezra, and that is this. Win the enemies. Win the enemies. Because if God is moving in your life, moving you in a direction, giving you a clear vision of what he wants to do, anytime that this happens, there is always an enemy right around the corner that is going to try to take that away. And let me say it to you this way. If you are doing something worth doing, then there is someone that wants to stop you from doing it. If you're doing something worth doing, there is someone that wants to stop you from doing it. And and we learn this primarily from Hollywood. Because imagine Neo in the Matrix without Agent Smith. (laughs) I I, I have to realize that most of the pop culture things that I love are about 10 years old. And so, so imagine Frodo and Sam without Mordor. Or imagine Batman without Joker. Oh. <laughs> now we're now we're on. Now, now we got it. <laughs> imagine the fringe team without the observers. Any sci-fi fans like Fringe? Yeah, yeah, we got some Fringe fans in here. Okay. You, see, like like every story has enemies. Or it's not a story. And every enemy is trying to keep the hero of the story from doing something that's worth doing. Primarily saving the world. Right? Like every story is a story about the good guy trying to save the world against the enemy. Every story has an enemy. And and while it may not be very good news, it is absolutely true that whenever God does something in your life, whenever he moves in your heart, whenever that, that, that wall of bitterness that you've built up begins to get knocked down by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, whenever God is moving, there's, there's always an enemy right around the corner trying to steal, trying to derail, trying to debunk whatever God is doing in your life. For every barrier that God breaks down, the enemy wants to build, rebuild it, and then build another one. The enemy wants to harden your heart every time God softens it. See, we have to realize, because what we, I mean, like chapter 3, 2 and 3 were like really encouraging, right? It's like... These people are all coming together, man, and they have a common vision, and they're working together, and there's people giving money, and they're like, they're celebrating, right? And the the foundation of the temple is laid. I mean, you're not even three chapters into Ezra, and they've they've already got the first step done. The foundation is laid. I mean, things are going awesome, right? And then chapter four. When the enemies of these folks showed up. And here's what's happened. You know what? You know what? If you read the story chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 are all about opposition. Are all about the groups of people that didn't want the temple to be built. That you have to face a truth today that there is an enemy that doesn't want God to do what he's doing in your life. That's the first thing we have to realize. And and the second thing is is when it comes to portraying enemies, Hollywood has it all wrong. Right? Because when we when we have these pictures and these stories of enemies, it's like they're obvious, you know? I mean, you could you could uh, you could put up the picture of the hero and he's he's dressed in all the heroic garb, right? Whether whether it's blue tights and red underpants and a and a cape or whether it's batty ears and a cape or whatever it is. He's dressed all heroic, right? And, and heroes wear jeans and polos, like, we, like, like Chris Wolf, right? And, and then the enemy is always like, has this mask on his face, and it's like crunching his head, you know? Or he's got makeup all over. And the enemies are always... Not very subtle, but very obvious. But let me tell you, in the real world, the hero or the enemy are neither not so up, Neither one are so obvious in your life and in your story. Because listen to this. The enemies of the people of Judah came to them and said, let us help you build. Because we worship God too. And we have ever since King E brought us here. Right? I mean, the, the, the enemies say on the surface that they want to help. And we have to realize that the enemy that you're facing after God is moving in your life and God is working in your life, that the enemy is probably very subtle. In other words, the enemy doesn't just come up to you and say, why so serious? That's a very under the radar. Okay? Much more subtle than that. Much more subtle is the enemy than what we see. We worship the same God, and indeed they did, sort of. I mean, this, this group of people, these enemies that were brought here by King E, did in fact worship Yahweh, the God of, of, of Israel, but they also worshiped many other gods, many other gods. And their attempt was to get into the work directly to oppose it from the inside. To oppose it from the inside. Because an enemy is always out to harm you. Even in the moments when it's like, let me help. Let, let me help. Let me just come alongside of you. Well, well, you're an enemy. Well, if you're an enemy, then you're always there to oppose me. So I, love what, I love their response in verse four, the people uh, around them. Well, I love the, the, the response of the people, the discernment that they had to say, no way, you have no part of this. And then this, in verse 4. The people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. I want to tell you today about two of the tools of the enemy that I think are some of the most powerful and most subtle work that the enemy does in your life. When God is, is working and moving and shaping and giving you mission and vision and direction and all of these things. There's two tools that I think the enemy uses that we, we learn out of this story. And uh, it is this. It is the tools of discouragement and fear. You, you see, the, have, you ever, have you ever thought about the enemy being discouragement and Fear? That's much more subtle than, than coming in here and saying, oh, why don't you have an affair? Go ahead or go ahead and, 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 and overdose. Everything's fine, right? That's in your face. But let me tell you, the enemy doesn't work that way. The enemy works in steps, in subtle movements. And two of the most popular tools are discouragement and fear. Discouragement and fear. The first one, discouragement, is defined as the loss of confidence. Discouragement is the loss of confidence. If, if the enemy can get you to believe that God's vision or God's work in your life will never come to pass, then he's got you beat. Because discouragement is the loss of confidence in the vision that God has given you. Or God is working in your life. Like, maybe some of you are here today and you're like, holy cow, vision from God? Like, I don't even know, a, I, I don't, I, I haven't even read the Bible in years, or I don't even know about all this stuff. Like, I'm not receiving any kind of vision from God. Maybe not, but God is moving in you in a direction. God is working in your heart, or you wouldn't be here today. Right? And discouragement is the loss of confidence in the work that God is doing. Whether that's the clear vision and mission that he's given you, or whether that's the direction that he's pulling your heart, you feel this tug on your heart toward the goodness of God to trust in him. And discouragement is the loss of confidence in where that will take you. The loss of confidence in whatever God is doing in your life. That's discouragement. And so some of you, maybe God has given you a clear vision to be the, a, a better husband, to be the kind of husband that God has really called you to be. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to discourage you and tell you a lie and, and have you believe that you'll never be that kind of husband, that you are incapable of being the, the husband that God has called you to be. Or maybe that's, maybe it's a father, and a lot of those, those go hand in hand, right? It's, man, I want to be a better husband. And I want to be a better father. I want to be a better wife, and I want to be a better mother. And discouragement from the enemy is the one that makes you, is the, is the lie that, you know what, you'll never be what God has called you to be. It's a loss of confidence in the vision that God has given you. Let me just ask you today, has God given you a vision and a direction for your life? Do you long to honor God more in a particular area of your life. If you do, that's God's vision for your life. Maybe you don't identify it as that. Maybe you're not aware of it as that. Whatever it is. But if God, if you have this, this sense in your heart that something is not quite right, that you're right here and you want to be right here, that's God's vision, right? Because that's all vision is. is seeing ahead of where we're at now. And so God has given you a vision. Discouragement is the lie that you'll never get there. You lose confidence in that as a possibility. That's discouragement. And so maybe it's, I'll never become the husband or father that he wants me to be. Maybe it's, I'll never actually leave for the mission field. My debt is too high. The... the. Um, the circumstances will never line up. I'll, I'll never receive a clear calling of where I want to go. I just know that I want to go, but I don't know where. And, and so maybe it's this, this lie that I'll never actually leave for the mission field. Or maybe it's, maybe it's this. I'll never experience the community that my heart longs for. Right? Like you're here, and you're plugging away, and you have friends, and you have people that talk to you, but you long for this like deep, rich Community and God has given you a vision for that. And discouragement is is the voice that says it'll never happen. A loss of confidence in the vision and direction that God has given to us. Are you with me? You may say to yourself, I'll never have the talent or the resource or the help or the leadership, uh, et cetera, to, to get there. And so sometimes discouragement comes uh, at our own sake, that I that there's some sort of fault within me that will keep me from reaching God's vision. Listen, if God has given you a vision for your life, do you think that he can enable you to reach it? Do you think that he can give you the ability, the re- resource, the leadership to get there? Absolutely. But sometimes we place ourselves. We, we, we're discouraged about the nature of ourselves. I will never get me there. Uh, and that's probably true. You will never get you there. But if you depend on God, he can get you there. But other times we place the discouragement on someone else. Uh, this place, this place will never be uh, good enough or, or, or smart enough or this enough, 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 enough. This place. And so we externalize the discouragement. Oh, you know, I, I'm stuck in this place that, you know, it's just not very good. Maybe it's, maybe it's a church that you feel that way about. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe whatever it is, a lot of times we either direct the discouragement toward us or we externalize the discouragement. This place will never change. Things will always be the same as they are today. And, and let me just tell you, if you're here this morning and you believe those lies, the enemy is doing his job in your life. And, and, and while that's framed sort of negatively, that's a good word because it brings awareness to you. And awareness is the opportunity to change. Identifying a lie brings opportunity to live according to the truth. And so one of the one of the enemy's best tools is discouragement. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin came and said, Let us help you. And they said, No, 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 no. And so the people all around them set to work to discourage and make them afraid. So first, discouragement. Uh, l- let me tell you a little bit about discouragement. Um, last week was my seven-year anniversary here at the church, second week of September. So I have been here seven years and one week and seven days. So, so oh, hey. <clears> hey. <throat> If I could just fit another seven in there, we'd be all right, wouldn't we? It's 7 7 it's been, it's been exactly seven years, seven days, and seven hours. The Lord's blessing is on me right here. It's the number of perfection. But when I first came to the church here, the, the, the church was in a, a difficult place. Um, it had suffered conflict in the past. It had gone through some really difficult stuff. There were great people. Uh, there were good things happening in the church. Uh, but they, it just needed something different to happen. And so the district leadership of the Church of the Nazarene brought me in to help make a transition. And uh, if you have ever been part of a congregation that is in the midst of transition, you know that this, it can be a very difficult process. Um, and, and I feel like the Lord in those early years when I was so young... <laughs> Because now I'm so old. <laughs> but in those, in those years, I feel like the Lord really gave me a gift of ignorance. Um, because I was so ignorant, I didn't know to be discouraged. And that's a gift. And that was a gift. That I was just simply confident that God was going to allow the Church of the Nazarene in Fort Collins to enter into a, a brand new season of ministry. And I just, I never doubted that. I was just, I was ignorant enough to not be discouraged in the midst of transition and challenge and difficulty. And... I don't don't know that I've always lived that out perfectly since then. Or or, or I don't know that I even lived it out perfectly in the moment. But I, I do know that if I had, for a moment, allowed myself and the leadership to lose confidence in the direction and vision that God had given us, we would not be where we are today. Because one of the greatest tools the enemy can use to, to derail the work of God in your life is discouragement. And so if you're here today and you are discouraged, I want to offer you a good word that God is the God of encouragement. That God wants you know what encourage means, it means to build up courage, right? If discouragement is a loss of confidence, a loss of courage that I can go this direction, that I can keep walking down this road, that I can work hard and get there, then God is the God who wants to come alongside of you and encourage you and say, I've placed you here for a reason. I've given you this vision. It is from me. You've tested that from my word. You've tested that from your trusted friends. You've tested that in community. You know, this is from me so let me encourage you, let me offer you, let me embolden you with courage and confidence that you can get there. Place your trust in me. I am good and I am powerful. And if you walk with me, I'm going to get you there. God wants to encourage you today if you're discouraged. Because God wants to replace the work of the enemy with the work of the Savior in your life. And he wants to do that in my life, too. Because, well, back then, I was so ignorant that I didn't know to be discouraged. The place I'm at right now in ministry is, man, I just, it's like, it's like I've been doing this a little while, seven years. Not a long time, but a little while. And now I kind of know better. And I've been burned. And I've been hurt. And I've been all those things. And the leader has a target on his back. And, I've, and it's just like, now I'm kind of in this place where it's like, God... God, protect me from discouragement, man. Like, seriously, put put a, a build a wall around my city to protect me from discouragement. And Lord, embolden me with, with courage and confidence that we can get where we're going. And that, that when we get there, you're going to call us further than that. And, and like, just keep me encouraged, God, because I, I don't know if I just, if I allow discouragement to come anymore, I don't know what's going to happen. And so, God, encourage me. So I don't know where you're at today. But I do know that God is a God of encouragement. And the enemy wants nothing more than to have you lose confidence in what God has called you to do. And may we have the discernment of our families and friends here in the book of Ezra. To recognize our enemies for who they are. And say to them right to their face. You have no work here. Or I am called to do this, and I will move forward with my God. Are you with me? And so rather than being discouraged, I would encourage you to be thankful. Because if you're facing opposition, then you're doing God's work. If, if you're facing doubt, in the midst of discovery of who God is, then you're moving in the right direction. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? (laughs) If you're facing and experiencing doubt in your season of discovery, God is at work in you. Because the enemy is trying to bring all sorts of doubts and derail and, and build up walls and all these kinds of things. So if you're facing opposition... And discouragement, be thankful because you're doing God's work. You're moving in the right direction. And then move yourself away from the discouragement and step into the encouragement of God. And allow him to move you forward. And, And in fact, not only be thankful in the midst of discouragement, but do this. Make opposition the context for your growth. Make opposition the context for your growth. Because, because, because opposition is actually the only context for growth. Did you hear that? Make your opposition the context for growth. Because actually, opposition is the only context for growth. Have you ever heard of someone growing and becoming the incredible person that God has called them to be without opposition? Probably not. Because opposition brings a great opportunity for us to grow. And so if we, if we, Rather, in the face of opposition, become discouraged and lose confidence in who God is. In the face of opposition, if we could turn that around and be thankful and make that the context for our growth, then there is no limit to what God can do in you and through you. And then, also related to discouragement, I would encourage you to do this know the difference between your critics and your enemies. Know the difference between your critics and your enemies because enemies only mean you harm. I love, again, verse 3, the heads of the family said, you have no part with us in building the temple of God. And so if you know someone is your enemy, if you know this, this lie is your enemy and you know it's from the enemy, do not listen. Do not lend your ear. Because the enemy only means you harm. Your critics, on the other hand, there's lots of different words we could use for this, but your critics, on the other hand, love you and want to offer you constructive criticism. And so if we could learn in our lives to discern between who is an enemy or what is an enemy or what message is an enemy... And then who is simply a critic, a friend who loves me and cares enough to say, you need to adjust your direction here, you need to not do that, you you need to adjust here, tweak here, do this, don't do that. A critic loves us and offers us constructive criticism to make us better. An enemy only means us harm. And the point of discernment for us is precisely What we see here in this example, that that when the heads, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the family of Israel, with great discernment, I want to add, answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God, for you are an enemy. Does that make sense? So the first tool is discouragement. The second one is fear. The second one is fear. Um, fear can absolutely cripple God's vision and work in your life and the vision of a community. Uh, in, In fact, if you read the scriptures, in the same way that I said that God is not a God of discouragement, but a God of encouragement, I would also say to you that God is not a God of fear. Because one of the most popular phrases in all of scripture is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, right? Like angels come on the scene. What do people do? Oh glory! it 's an angel! No, they like freak out, right? and they 're blinded, and they fall down, and the angel says to them, "Do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Like Jesus performs miracles, does all this great stuff, and and, and then all of a sudden people respond in fear and Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. And so, if if one of the most popular phrases in all of Scripture is, do not be afraid, then of course, one of the tools of the enemy that he wants to use in your life is fear. He wants to make you afraid of the outcome should you follow God down this road. Does that make sense? Like, what will happen if I actually decide to go and make this decision for Christ? What will my friends think? What will my parents think? What will my, my circle of influence think? If, if, if the enemy can get you to fear the outcome of walking down the path that God has for you, then he can derail the work of God in your life. Like, God, God you've given me this grand vision, this mission that I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. But how will I get there? What will happen if I do? All of these things are postures of fear. And fear absolutely freezes. Fear freezes. And it freezes because of this. When we fear a particular outcome, we are more likely to take no action for fear that any action will lead Or not lead to that outcome. Clear as mud, right? Let me say it to you in other words. In other words, fear wraps itself up in the outcome. I'm fearful that this will happen, or I'm fearful that the desired outcome won't happen, and so I freeze. Make sense? Fear wraps itself in the outcome. I'm afraid that if I go down this road, this will happen. Or I have, I'm right here, and I have this desired outcome. But I'm afraid that if I go down that road, the desired outcome actually won't happen. That, that I won't actually become, if I take these steps to become the better husband and follow God's vision for my life, what happens if I never become a better husband? And so we freeze and we, make, and we do nothing. Does this make sense to you? Or is it just me up here living these things? Because you know that preachers don't have everything figured out, right? Like that preachers just preach out of the overflow of their life. That if God is working on me with something, I think, you know, probably other people have issues like that too. I should preach about that, right? You know, like, that's how it works. Okay. So every sermon is autobiographical to some degree. Let me give an example from my own life. Uh, a few weeks ago, was New West Fest, and uh, we had a booth, and, and we were promoting the church, inviting people to church. And uh, whenever we do New West Fest, I always like to also enjoy New West Fest. And so we're walking around to uh, different booths, and uh, we, we find this like big orange tent, uh, like bright orange. And we stop by, and it happens that it's a new fit club in town, Coco Fit Club. And, uh, you know, they're telling us all about it, and it's like all digitized, you know, and you like get your little thumb drive, and it you punch in your weight and height and BMI and blah, blah, blah. And then it says, spits out like this, workout for you. And then when you go to the treadmill, you just punch in your little thumb drive. And it says you have to do the treadmill at this speed for this long. And then you got to go lift this weight. And it shows you how. And it's, it's all very cool. And since I love technology, I'm sitting there. And I'm going, oh, yeah. That is awesome. You know, a thumb drive? Really? OK. So like, so I'm, so I'm really getting sold on this. And they're like, you know, we have a giveaway. And I'm like, yeah, give it away, man. I'll sign up. And so, so I sign up, you know, and I have not won anything in my life. I, I have not won a single thing. I have signed up for thousands of things, and I have never got the call. Well, guess what? Two weeks ago, I get the call from Coke. This is so-and-so from Coco Fit Club. You are the grand prize winner. Yeah? It's true. Uh, what's the grand prize, I said. I'm thinking, like, a Cocoa hat. That's fitted. You know, I mean, it's like, what size do you wear? I mean, so it's like, you know, I'm thinking pretty small. It is a one-year free membership with a free initial consultation to Coco Fit Club. How about that? So I get to thinking about this. You know, at first I'm like, yeah. And then, then I get to thinking about it, and I'm like, oh. Because I'm like, you know, like, you know, I need to lose weight, and then I drive by Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, I can't drive by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't drive by Chick-fil-A. you got to drive through Chick-fil-A, you know? And so like, so, like, on one hand, I'm like, you know, I really need to lose weight, and, and, you know, I'm in my 30s, mid-30s now, and if I don't get control of this, it's just going to get out of hand, and uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, yeah. So I, I was really, I have a broken spirit about this stuff, you know. <laughs> and so I get to thinking about this Coco Fit Club. And on, on, on the one hand, I'm like, man, what a great opportunity, you know. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I'm here now, right. And I have this desired outcome. And all of a sudden, I became dreadfully fearful. What would happen after a year of free membership to a gym if at the end of the year, nothing had happened? And like all of you, right? Because they like post me on their Facebook page. You know, and like, all, like as a grand prize winner, I am now the poster child for Coco Fit Club. And so, so it's like, it's like, what if, what if the before and after pictures are like not all that different? You know what I'm saying? It's like, 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 what if the before and after pictures, like, you could actually swap them, and then it would be a success story. Right? Like, like and so, so part of me is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go with my little thumb drive, and I'm going to work out, and it's going to be awesome. And then part of me is like, I don't, I don't think I'll go at all, actually. Like, thank you, but I never found the gym. Where is it again? You know, I mean, it's just like... And I, and I say that to illustrate that, that, that in a very real way, that illustrates to some degree the enemy's work in our life. The some of you, like God is working in your life. He's calling you to do something and you have this desired outcome, but you are frozen by fear so much so that you're like, if, what if that outcome actually never happens? And fear sneaks in. And the enemy has his way. Rather than God doing what he wants to do in your life. And so fear is a very real tool of the enemy. And then I was, I was reading this story and I was thinking about Cocoa Fit Club and I was thinking about all this stuff and and, uh, and I realized that the in context the enemies weren't trying to prevent the people from ever starting the work of building the temple it, in fact part of the temple had already been built the foundation was already laid And they had already had this wild celebration of the work of God. Like, we came together, we gave money, we have unity, we accomplished this, and we're not done yet. But praise God, because we're on our way. And then the enemy sneaks in. And wants to discourage them and make them afraid to go on building. And I realized something. That sometimes the work of the enemy in making us fearful is not fearful to start the work. He wants us to make us fearful to continue the work. That you've already experienced victory. You're already on the road. You already began your journey toward God's vision and direction and work in your life. and, And the enemy will find it and consider it a success if he can stop that. Not that he can ever keep you from starting, but then he can actually get you to stop what you've already started. And, and so I just, I just thought, man, you know, maybe what? Maybe the, maybe the word that some of you need to hear today and, and the word that God wants to share with you today is keep going, keep going, right? Like, don't be discouraged. So you hit a road, so you hit a, a road bump. So you hit a, a little, you know, you, you did this, you did that, something happened that, that got you off track. So what? Has God still called you to that? yes, then keep going and don't allow the enemy to rob it for you. Well, let me offer some closing thoughts. There's always an enemy. The enemy wants to discourage you and the enemy wants to make you afraid. Great sermon, Pastor Andy. I'm real encouraged. The answer to these things, to some degree, is this. To continually remind yourself of what God said to you and whose you are. Notice I didn't say who you are. I said whose you are. The answer to the work of the enemy and discouragement and fear is to continually place in front of you, here's what God said. This is the word of God. And then this is whose I am. If we can do that, then I think there's a good chance that the work of the enemy will not come to pass in your life. In, Ezek, in, sorry, in, in Ezra chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. This is uh, King Cyrus talking about the word that he received from the Lord, the Persian king, to allow the people of God to return to Jerusalem and build their temple. This is the word of the Lord. He says this, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. That's the word of the Lord. From the king of Persia for the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel then gathered around that word, right? And and began to, and unified around that word. This is our goal. This is our task. They gathered and centered themselves around the word of God. This is what God says. This is what God wants. This is God's desire, mission, vision, direction, purpose, whatever you want to call it. They centered around themselves around that. And then in Ezra chapter 3 verse 1, whose we are, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem, as one under the Lord, whose we are. And then I would want to offer this. The love of Jesus, Scripture says, churns away fear. It's the love of Jesus that churns away fear. And so let me ask you, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Is it because you're afraid of what people might say about you or think about you? Is it because you've built an identity for yourself and you don't want that to change? But this is who I am. I'm the person that struggles with this. I'm the person that, that is this way. God has given me a vision and a direction to be different from that, but my identity is wrapped around in this, and I'm fearful I don't want to let that go. And I don't know what would happen if I did. Let me offer you today that whatever the answer to, your, to the question, why are you afraid, the love of Jesus churns away fear. Churns away fear that whatever it is, the reason why you're afraid, Jesus speaks to that. And he does not speak to your fear. In other words, if you are afraid of what people might say about you or think about you, the love of Jesus encourages you and says, this is what I think of you. And this is who I say you are. If we're afraid that we might lose our identity because we've wrapped ourselves up in this particular thing, and if I let go of that, then what will happen? Jesus, the love of Jesus, churns away fear and says, don't find your identity in that. Place your identity firmly in me. You see what I'm saying? Whatever the source of your fear, Jesus and the love of Jesus answers that so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. And the Bible says, do not fear. And do not let your hearts be discouraged, but rather be encouraged by the love of God. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.